May God teach us as we open His Word together now. Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave Him to show His servants things which must shortly take place. And He sent and signified it by His angel to His servant John who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that He saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth." To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I'm going to stop there, although we might have gone a few verses further just because I'm aware that there's a clock we're all probably starting to look at. As we come to the book of Revelation this morning, we are coming to the last book in a series that has taken us through 66 books of the Bible. And some of them we took, because they're bigger books, we took a couple of spots out of them. We've called it book, chapter, verse, because we've tried to focus in on just a couple of verses and go on to the next book. Been in a, just a very refreshing study for me, and I'm really glad that we have done it this way. And here we are now on the last book. And some interesting observations about the book as a whole. First of all, in chapter 1, verse 3, as we just read, it promises a blessing for reading it and heeding what is there. But if you go to the far end of the book, it promises a cursing if we mess with the text, if we add to it or take from it. So just, just directly identified with this particular book. Uh, there are seven churches that are mentioned, and we didn't get to the point of reading them by name. You need to understand those were real churches, really known with real people gathering them like us right now at the time. And so this is written to those seven churches in Asia Minor. There are interpretive questions that are identified with this book that people pick up on real quickly because there's, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of imagery there that you wonder, what, what do we do with this? Some have taken an allegorical approach which says, well, this stuff isn't really going to happen. It's just teaching us things about God's and his relationship with men. Some have taken what has been called a preterist approach, which says that, you know, these things were true, but they happened in the early church, and, and we're past those now. Others like to try and find, a, they call it the historical approach, and they track the path of church history within as these different stages along the way as, as, as the book develops. Or, where I find difficulty with that is have absolutely no meaning to the people he was writing to if it was we're going to track what's going on at some time in history down the line. I don't understand that approach at all. Uh, the last is what my, some have called the futurist uh, approach to understanding it and that the book is communicating future events yet to be fulfilled. And if you take the same hermeneutic or means we've been using for interpreting scripture for 65 books, and you apply it that way, that's what you're going to come up with. 
You simply are going to come up with, this is telling us where this thing is ultimately going. And from my perspective, it is the only way to interpret this book. Now, the book is written by John during a time of persecution under uh, Emperor Domitian. He eventually died at 96 AD, so somewhere before that this was written. But here's the deal. People were being persecuted at that time. And he's writing to these people in this deep tribulation that they are being faced with. And as you read the book, you realize the day is going to come when, when, when people are going to undergo tribulation with their lives for the sake of the gospel. And he is saying, regardless of how tough it is, hang on. Hang on to the faith that has been revealed to us. And I selected verse, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, because in my thinking, I thought, this capsulizes the book. This just tells us, here's the point of the book, being written to people who are going through difficult times, tribulation, persecution. I was really encouraged with after I had already submitted this stuff to Brenda, so I mean, I'm not just blowing smoke at you here, people, to find out that none other than Dr. John Walvoord, a world, he's late now, so the late Dr. John Walvoord, world-class uh, 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 teacher on prophecy, he wrote this, the major revelation of the entire book is referred to in these salutation verses. Yes, if John Walford says that, I'm not that far off, okay? I've got, got it under, under good uh, recommendation, if you will. And so I've gone about calling this boiling it down. The whole book, he boiled it down to right here. And, I, and it just, because it reminded me when I was working in Travanagh Labs, we used to have to check normal saline solution. You see this hanging on people's trees in the hospital all the time, or they use it to wash out wounds. Normal saline meaning it's the normal salinity of the human body, so it's 9%. And so it's just good for cleaning things out, but you have to have 9% salt in there. And the way that I would check to see when I was working at Travanagh Labs in the quality control environment I was working in, the way that I would check that is we'd take a fixed amount, which I measured very carefully, Literally boiled it down, and there was a crust of salt at the end. I'd weighed the container beforehand. I weighed it after to ten thousandths of a gram, and I could do a little simple math and go, yep, it's normal saline. It's 9%. Boiled it down to see what's there. Well, perhaps we might want to think of this book in this way. Maybe, because John's writing to people undergoing persecution and tribulation, maybe if I am a first-century Christian undergoing tribulation... Or a 21st century Christian undergoing tribulation. There are two things I should have down solid if I'm understanding what John is saying. You got that? If I'm going through difficult times, and friends, there are people here today going through difficult times. And if you're not going through difficult times right now, you either have in the past or you will in the future. Because nobody escapes this world without going through serious, difficult times. It is the nature of the broken world in which we live. So, there's two things I should know. First, I should know for sure He is coming. Revelation 1-7. He is coming. Behold, 
He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. That's the first of our little memory verses. Behold, he's saying, get this into your thinking. Know this. Understand this with absolute clarity and certainty. Allow this to seep into your gray matter so this becomes a part of absolutely who you are. And this is how you view the world. This is how you view what's happening around you. This is a grid from which you interpret everything. This is something I need to know. He is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. In a couple of months, because time just goes fast. Before we know it, we're going to have, hopefully some new people will step up and help with the decorating and that kind of thing, because Peggy's done a wonderful job, but as we heard, she's retiring from that, and we don't want to see Peggy on ladders anymore, so we're all good with this. This place will be decorated, and we'll walk in, we'll know it looks like Christmas. And what are we going to celebrate? We're going to celebrate an absolutely magnificent historical reality that the second person of the Trinity, of whom we sung earlier, the second person of the Trinity stepped out of eternity to take on human flesh to then carry the role of a servant. And when he entered into the world as the totally God, totally man being, only one that has ever been in all the history of mankind, when he entered into the world, how did he come? We know the story. We will tell the story again. It's a beautiful story as he came through a young teenage girl who was a virgin and he was born in a stable by God's sovereign planning and it was announced to shepherds who are not considered at the top of the social economic scale he came in absolute humility and it was quietly announced and the shepherds came and he went on about his life until 30-some years later he breaks on the scene and announces his presence. That's how he came the first time. The second time, he's coming in the clouds and all the earth will see him. Now, I don't know whether or not that means, you know, he's coming straight to the earth and then it's going to be shown on the internet and on television because everything happens immediately worldwide, or whether or not he's going to come and just kind of circle the globe a few times. Kind of let everybody know. Could give you a first-hand view of this. But when he comes, it's no longer in humility. He comes. Everyone sees that he has arrived. And he comes in such magnificence and everyone sees him, even they who pierced him. I, I, I think we have to do a bit of interpretation on that. Not necessarily those who actually pounded the nails into him, because they're dead. But those who are of the system that pounded the nails into his hands. Those who are of the dark kingdom, who have been resisting all along, who, had they been there, would have been pounding the nails into his hands. And, and definitely saying, yeah, that's a good thing. Because you realize there's two kingdoms in play here. And those who are of the dark kingdom, who are part of that system, what frightens me is had I been alive in that day, I would have been gladly those yelling to crucify him. I thank God by his grace he called me out of that. 
But those who are still resisting in that, in that kingdom and saying, we don't want anything to do with the things of God or the things of Jesus Christ. We reject them wholeheartedly. This scripture, who needs it? They will see him and they will mourn because they will understand all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him because they will then understand, oh, we've been buying the lie. We've been propagating the lie. We've been communicating the lie. We have told our children and our grandchildren the lie. We thought we understood, and it was a lie. And now they understand that they've gone about it all wrong, and the light of this one who comes in the clouds will be there, and they will see it, and they will be crushed to know that they have wasted their lives in believing the lie and living for the lie and promoting the lie and living in a kingdom which is all about the lie. All the tribes of earth will mourn because of him. And John then says, even so, amen. John doesn't at this point, he doesn't put, oh, that, you know, hopefully God will, you know, God will give grace and restrain from this. God's, John's like, when that happens, it's time. When that happens and he comes in judgment, it's time. And so, Lord, bring it. Because I think, I, I wonder, I almost wonder whether or not, because uh, he ends his book with this, even so come, Lord Jesus. I wonder whether or not, because he's under the persecution and writing in Patmos and he's in exile, I wonder whether or not he's just weary of the fight for the gospel. And he's like, it's going to be good when it comes. And God finally clears up this mess and allows the dark kingdom to rule as much as he has. And he says, end of dark kingdom. We're going to, we're going to put a stop to this. So, first, as a 21st century Christian who experiences deep trouble and tribulation, maybe even persecution, but things I clearly don't understand, things for which we need a song like, Be Still My Soul. Okay, because there's so many things that can inundate us. The first thing I need to know for sure, he is coming. And there's going to be an end to this nonsense. Second, I should also know for sure who is coming. Who is this he? And that's verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, you're an astute group. I assume by now you understand that the Alpha is the first letter in the Greek uh, uh, alphabet. Omega is the last letter. If he were speaking to us, he would say, I am the A and the Z, the beginning and the end. And I, there's something else here which tells us he's, he's not just saying that he's there from beginning to end. I believe it's a statement of his authority. He is the beginning and the end. He decided when it started. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. He began the process, and he has all authority to end it. When he says, enough, the fullness of time has come. He's the one who has the authority to start it and to stop it. That's number one. He is, he is the one who is and who was and who is to come. 
Not only does he have all authority, he's beyond eternity. He is the one for whom we sang, the great I am. You'll recall that as he said uh, in the book of John, before Abraham was, I am. The, he, he, he claimed as the second person of the Trinity and declared clearly and accurately his eternal preexistence, his ongoing existence, his eternal existence into the future because he is the eternal one. The great I am. So he has, he, is, he has all authority. He's beyond eternity. And he is the almighty. If you break that down in the original language into its two parts, you get almighty. It's literally what it says in the Greek. All powerful. So he's infinite in ability. This is the one who is coming, dear friends. We need to get a sense as to who he is. Who is coming? This one with all authority, who's beyond eternity and has all ability so that he can come and he will set things right when the time is right. And it's at that point we will understand and see and realize, yes, it was... Very painful at times and very hard. And at times we hang on barely by our fingernails. I know because I've been there, friends. I have wondered, is he there? Does he love me? Does he work on our behalf? Does he care? I have, I have questioned that, so I know. We come to these points in the midst of all of this stuff. And John says, look, two things you need to have down, Gary. Two things you need to have down, brethren. <laughs> he is coming, and who is coming? Because he's the one who's able to set it all right. So let's just draw just a couple conclusions for this. We wrap up, okay? Number one, the story isn't over. You realize we're living within the context of the things that he was going to reveal, that there's more to come. And so we're somewhere in between the birth of that child in humility and the return of the king in authority. And we're somewhere in between there. The story's not done. It isn't over. Secondly, Christ is sovereign. He is in control. Hard to see sometimes, but it's something we must cling to. Third thing, in this broken, fallen world, justice will be met. Don't you just want that? Don't you just long for that? Aren't you, don't you weary of the injustice, sometimes perpetrated by one person upon another, and sometimes just, the, just what seems wrong that we need to be praying for Silas. Silas has done nothing that he's born with the transposition of these vessels. That's because we live in a broken world. And it just gets weary, or it's wearisome to know that it's just things aren't the way that they should be. But lastly, righteousness will be served and accomplished. When the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, comes with all authority, he's going to put things in proper order. And we see that at the end of the book. He's going to set things right. Until then, we live with tribulation and difficulty. That's why we need to know that he is coming and who is coming. Father, 
the magnificence of Jesus Christ as revealed in these two verses which barely begins to scrape the surface of who he is but is so significant that we cling to this Lord because this dark kingdom will desire to destroy our faith to cause us to turn against you the dark kingdom father wants nothing to to bring glory to you and the evil one will use our difficult circumstances, Father, to whisper in our ears that to follow Jesus Christ is not worth it. To follow Jesus Christ has no good end. To follow Jesus Christ, is, it's buffoonery. And he will whisper that to us, Father. But I pray that you will shout to our spirits that Jesus Christ alone is the hope that he is coming and that he is magnificent in his being and we can trust him. Cause us, Father, to be strengthened, to cling to you, we ask in his precious name. Amen.